being powerful to me means that I am kind of Robin Hooding it. And not that I'm robbing anything, but just that I'm making sure that I'm part of making things more equitable and that mm-hmm. I'm really thinking about the folks who may have been kind of forgotten along the way or haven't, the system hasn't been caring for. That's Jasmine Carey, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm Kara Duffy, a business coach and entrepreneur on a mission to help you live your most extraordinary life by showing you anything is possible. People who have mastered freedom, ease, and success, who are living their best and most ridiculous lives, and who are making the biggest impact, are people you often haven't heard of until now. Throughout time, humans have been in search of the secret to life. What is our purpose? Where should we be focusing our energy? What truly matters? What if our only goal was to be of service to others and have as much fun as possible? That's what today's guest, Jasmine Carey, has been exploring as a lifelong writer, dancer, and freedom seeker, and at a deeper level through her new memoir and young adult novel series. From growing up in Vermont to dancing in New York City with Prince, We cover a lot in this episode. You are not going to want to miss this. Welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Let's jump right in by telling everyone your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. My name is Jasmine Carey. I am looking out the window at palm trees. I live in Venice in Los Angeles, California, although I grew up on the East Coast. And I am currently, I'm a writer and a teacher. And so I am exploring both of those in currently unconventional ways for me. (laughs) (laughs) What areas do you write about or teach about? So I am really, really interested in neural pathways and the ways that our brains develop and the ways that we, from childhood to adults, shut some things down that I Mm -hmm. think we should leave open. And so I, for many years, taught creative writing and a lot of experiential learning, youth development, holistic practices, how as a young person to really empower yourself. Mm -hmm. And then moved into really just the last five years teaching adults as well. I teach meditation, I teach mindfulness. And again, as much as possible just to spark creativity in people, spark Mm -hmm. sovereignty in children and adults, and have people see that we're supposed to be having a really good time on this planet. (laughs) How did that message get deleted as we have evolved as humans? Great question. Um, I mean, I think it is very much culturally mm-hmm. taught out of us. I'm, I've been a teacher for many, I've been, a, I first started teaching in 1991. And so I've had a long arc of watching our educational system, watching mm-hmm. our children and how they're being impacted and how the world is shifting and our education system is not doing much to catch up. And so I think that, again, we really teach it out of them. I don't even, I don't like to make my children raise their hands. I don't like, you know, I I, I believe we do some wing clipping, which we would do much, much better to be teaching them how to fly. Mm-hmm. 
and ourselves. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, I recorded a podcast earlier today because I usually record a bunch back to back. And we had this great conversation about how, like, where did we as humanity lose this idea that we can create whatever we want, that anything really is possible? And we talk a lot about in, the, in this country currently about how we're divided either divided politically or by race or by gender. And, you know, there's a shift happening towards the big divide of like who has and who doesn't have, especially with home ownership. But we're missing that piece of who knows you can create anything and who doesn't think you can. And I, and if we, I think if we really looked at all the different demographics and where are people aligned or not aligned, that question would actually reveal a lot about how people feel about society today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm writing the two things, well, the three main things that I'm working on. So mm-hmm. I, I'm editor for a magazine, which is a global magazine right now in Spanish and English, and mm-hmm. planning on expanding into multiple languages, which also has the interesting layers of when you translate of course Mm -hmm. you're not translating verbatim you're translating philosophically and so how do our cultures overlap what do we share and what do we do differently and it's an entrepreneurial magazine i absolutely love it it's much i imagine like this platform really Mm -hmm. dedicated to giving voices to the voiceless Mm -hmm. making sure that we are really widening who we whose voices we hear whose stories we get to hear Mm -hmm. and then i'm also pretty deep into a a a fictional fantasy-based but growth mindset uh young adult series um and i i it's kind of based on Abraham Hicks. I'm well, it's based yeah. on the law of attraction, mm-hmm. um, but it's really made into like fantasy for children in a way that I think that they will totally get. They already mm-hmm. are living it, you know, it's just yeah. really cementing it for them. And then I'm finally working on my memoir. So I have three huge writing projects going on simultaneously, but to mm-hmm. me, they all speak to, you know, sharing stories and how much mm-hmm. stories are the ways that we're going to bridge these gaps. I know for me, when sometimes I meet people with different opinions than me, different lifestyles, just something that I need to reach harder to understand. Um, when I hear it told in a narrative way about their story, then it really comes to light for me. And so I'm interested in being a catalyst for that happening as much as possible. I think the great divide is a lot of smoke and mirrors, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of it's intentional tactical division. I don't believe it actually exists as much person to person. No, I, you know, traveling the world and having clients in all different places and talking to people on this show from all over the place, there's so much alignment. So much. And, you know, whenever I hear someone who says something that I've, I'm like, wait, what? Like if someone's like, why do black lives matter? I'm like, time out. Hold on. What did you say? And then I'm like, how did you get there? Like, this is so interesting to me because I totally disagree. And I'm so curious how you are so far from where I am. Like, absolutely. Because I, I don't believe there is actually that gap. So like, what was the one thing that moved you over there? Because I just want to understand how you got to that perspective, even if I don't agree with it, because... Like, wow, like, how'd that happen? <laughs> exactly. 
exactly, exactly. And then also we can deconstruct it. I'm mm-hmm. adopted. I'm ado- I was yeah. adopted by white people as an infant. I'm mixed race. I grew up Quaker in Vermont. So I grew up with like all white people. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lifetime of navigating conversations and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, understanding a lot of perspectives. I get to peripherally be Mm -hmm. in almost any situation. I'm not necessarily an insider, but Mm -hmm. I can kind of go anywhere. And therefore I I kind of feel like Robin Hood to then come back with just messages and be Mm -hmm. like, I promise you, everybody wants the same things. I I, I promise you, we all want our children safe. We all want to be loved, just all the same things. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree that the more that I, I don't mind. Not only do I not mind, I grew up, I lived in New York City for many years. So mm-hmm. I love when we stick our feet in our mouth, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a horrible thing. You're like, that's how we get to the next stage of understanding each mm-hmm. other. So I'm I'm all about what can be challenging dialogue, but I believe that's what moves us forward. I imagine that there's a lot of people listening who have no idea what a Quaker is. So maybe we just tell them what, it, what do Quakers believe in and kind of <laughs> What are Quakers? Exactly. I've explained it. If I had a dollar for every time yeah. I explained Quakers. So, um, it's a very old religion in this country. Uh, it's Christian in basis, but it's also not at all dogmatic about, frankly, mm-hmm. anything other mm-hmm. than very simple tenets. Like, leave anyone and any situation at least as good as you found it, if not better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's they're, they're called Quakers because their worship is meditative. And so they typically sit in concentric circles. It's also just supposed to be the concept of the collective. And then you meditate. Some meetings have queries, but very few. Yeah. Mostly it's just a silent meditation. They're called Quakers because if you're sitting in silence and a message comes to you and you don't know if it's something that you need to get out as catharsis, if it's something you don't know what, who needs to hear it, but it's literally like your soul is quaking to share. Then you stand out of the silence and you share. And so again, it's a pretty, it's a, it's, it's a relatively simple religion. Mm -hmm. It's very, it doesn't recruit. Nobody, you know, again, people don't know them about them, but they're everywhere. Everywhere I've yeah. ever lived. I lived deep in Brooklyn. My mom was like, I'm going to find a Quaker meeting. Sure enough, she mm-hmm. did, you know, and they, they're pacifists. Mm-hmm. They believe they were the first religion to, one of the main religions to facilitate the Underground Railroad, to mm-hmm. first embrace same-sex marriage. They're very inclusive, although demographically they're pretty homogenous these days. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. quite lovely. Very, even more than live and let live. They really want us all as much as possible, extending a hand to each other and mm-hmm. seeing the world as a global community. Um, a lot of potlucks. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, growing up on the East coast, I'm like, Benjamin Franklin was a Quaker and Pennsylvania was founded on Quaker values. And like, I know these things from East coast youth history. Exactly. And we also always had Quakers meeting, especially in the car. And like the whole phrase, Quakers meeting has begun. No more laughter, no more fun. If you show your teeth or tongue, you will pay a forfeit. And like, we have to just like sit there. And like, that was the thing as a kid, we would say, and I have no idea 
who taught us to th- that, but <laughs> I still use it with my nephews. I'm at Quakers meeting. Go think about that right now. Um, we are but- pretty, I feel like they have a little bit of a reputation for being a little stricter than at least my experience. I grew up in a very, my adoptive parents are hippies. Our Quaker yeah. meeting was fun and lively. Yeah. And it, again, it's, it's definitely about quiet and stillness, but yes. I could wear what I wanted. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't kind of the things that I feel like a lot of people associate with Quakerism as, as dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like that in my experience. No. Well, <laughs> like I personally relate as like a Chubu, like a Christian Buddhist, which I'm stealing from 10% Happier when he's like, I'm a Jubu. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm stealing that. <laughs> and so often, as you mentioned, like Quakerism is so close to that because it does pull in these really, we are one universal, like the power of that silence Absolutely. and like having that pause in a day, like, holy smokes. like. We know how important meditation is today, neurologically and scientifically, and that's kind of starting to emanate out. But to, to just be in a community where you honor a pause, I think that's life-changing from what standard Western approach to life is. Absolutely. Agreed. I have a, again, I was adopted as an infant, so I'm an interesting study in nature versus nurture, especially because... I, I had a very unusual nurture situation. And so one that, you know, it's pretty easy to see some correlative effects that probably wouldn't have happened had I grown up in the city and not on a dirt road with Quakers. Um, but I definitely know that it, it has a grounding to it that mm-hmm. I believe has served me inc- incredibly well throughout my life. And that I believe would serve everyone. Not that I think that Quakerism Mm -hmm. is the message for everyone at all, but just the ability to make sure that you have some silent grounding in your life. Yeah. And to be comfortable being silent around others. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) sometimes it just needs to be like, no, 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 just quiet. Just quiet right now. Thank you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We all fill this space so much. Me too. I don't go to Ralph, but yeah, it's good to remember that silence has a lot of answers as well. Yes. So if we look back at eight-year-old you, what did she want to be? What did she think she'd be doing today? And how close to that or in contrast to that are you today? I love the question. I am, I mean, I feel like she's with me all the time. Mm-hmm. I kind of always, I was, I, I believe I'm fortunate and then I kind of always knew what I wanted to do. I feel like I wanted four things. I wanted to write. I was already a writer. I wrote copiously even before I started school, mm-hmm. dream journals, poetry, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, my mother was wonderful and kept copious amounts of it. Um, <laughs> I always worked with children. As soon as I was bigger than somebody else, I was taking mm-hmm. care of them. I wanted to be a dancer. I always wanted to be a dancer. And then I was really addicted to freedom, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and again, hippie parents. And so I think they did a very good job of curating that in us. We, you know, ran in the forest all day. I have have Mm -hmm. a brother and 
we just had a lot of freedom as well as the, the philosophy in our home was very much about freedom. It was the seventies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think my name was actually Heidi. I, I, my parents named me Heidi. I changed it when I was 22. Um, so little Heidi, I think, we're pretty, <laughs> I think we're pretty close. Um, she was adventurous. She really wanted to get out and see the world and, was a motor. We'd already lived in Europe for years. I knew mm-hmm. multiple languages. I knew I wanted to make sure to see lots of different kinds of people. And yeah, I would say I, I I'd say she's probably sitting right here. You know, yeah. I never Cheer felt very yeah. I never felt very far away from her. And I think also much uh, exacerbated, exemplified by being able to be with children forever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 53 and people. My people's reception of me is nothing like that energy. My own yeah. is nothing like that. And so I feel pretty connected to eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and what made you change your name? Um, I actually only changed, plan to change my, my parents divorced when I was very little, mm-hmm. uh, very strange relationship with my father. I didn't like his last name. We're not biologically related. Um, so by the time, by, by the time I was getting high school, I was already ca- casually using my mother's last name, which was mm-hmm. my middle name. And then right after college, I skipped my college graduation in Vermont to pack and move to New York City. And I was like, I don't, this is the perfect time to change it. Like this mm-hmm. is the perfect time. I'm starting a new life. I went to court in my little small hometown. You have to, you know, go before a judge. And on the spot, I was like, you know what? I changed my first name too. And I thought of Jasmine over the years as a possible name for a child of mine. But I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'll never have a daughter. I'm going to take it. <laughs> on the spot, I changed it. Uh, I just kind of moved it over. Heidi became my middle name. Carrie became my last name. I dropped the last one. I added Jasmine. Um, and everybody switched pretty quickly. Yeah. My grandmother held out for a long time, <laughs> um, but it was a pretty easy transition. And again, because mm-hmm. I was, you know, I moved to New York city and I knew one person. So, yeah. Well, I, I, feel, I feel very Jasmine and Heidi. I like both. Yes. I definitely, you occur to me in this initial meeting as way more Jasmine than Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like both. Little Heidi's mm-hmm. funny too. She used to wear later hosen. I mean, I have a dirndl at home, so oh, I you understand. Do. Nice. Me too. Yep. We lived in Europe when I was little. So. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. I had. Uh, you had to. I lived in Germany. If you didn't have a dirndl, what were you supposed to do? Oh, like, what were you even doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Plus, I mean, if you're gonna get one, like, get the real one. Like, it's amazing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. I actually saw a woman in New York. I was in New York two weekends ago, wearing the Lederhosen sweater. And I could tell that I'm like, that is a boy's youth sweater she's wearing. There's no way that that would be a regular size, but it's definitely the sweater that goes with Lederhosen. Like, where did she get that in New York City? Exactly. Yeah. She probably great home in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. Um, but coming back to you and, and what it means to be powerful to you, you know, I, I'm really curious what people think of the words powerful and ladies as separate words. And what do those words mean when they're combined or next to each other? Um, I mean, powerful to me is that 
feel like if I were up against something and I had to give my most, what I believe, what I feel like powerful stands for most to me in my life is the ability to use the many privileges I've been given to stand for others. Honestly, I feel like, I don't know. I, it's amazing to me. I, I complain about things sometimes too, but like we're just so privileged in this country and we're, I, I don't know, every day I wake up that I'm just boggled by all the things available to us and all of the, just everything that we're granted every second yeah. all day by this miraculous world, especially in this particular country. Um, and so being powerful to me means that I am kind of Robin Hooding it. And not that I'm robbing anything, but just that I'm making sure that I'm part of making things more equitable and that mm -hmm. I'm really thinking about the folks who may have been kind of forgotten along the way or haven't, the system hasn't been caring for. I, I care so deeply that I know I know it's just part of my DNA. I know it's part of my makeup. Sometimes in my life, I've tried to get away from a life of service. I always return, you know? And so, and, and, and with it, with ladies, I mean, you know, women, female power is just so mm -hmm. incredible from everything. I don't have children. I never had mm -hmm. children. Uh, most of the women in my life have. And that alone is like, are you, are you kidding me? Like we bring every single human walking around a woman mm -hmm. group. Like that's just, mm -hmm. that alone is incredible. And to me, we're kind of like the, the organ of the heart that so many of our physical organs have a particular physical function amazing and keep us alive and all of that the heart has this function that is of the utmost importance but then also has all these nuances and emotions and all these feelings and so that's what being a woman feels like to me it feels like holy moly we're kind of the central functioning of everything but then all these emotions and those unbelievable superpowers that we have too so I believe in the solidarity of women, that as women come together, that moving mountains doesn't even begin to speak to what mm -hmm. can be done when women really create coalitions together. And so, yeah, powerful, powerful ladies is my jam. And I know mm -hmm. that I care deeply about teaching both genders. Um, and I mm -hmm. believe that there's great value in teaching them together. I've also many times over the years had some programs specifically for mm -hmm. girls and young women for the ways that we can speak to each other and propel each other and support each other and really make incredible things happen that, you know, sometimes we're better at than men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I mean, the the battle with powerful ladies as a company and as a podcast and everything else that we do has been that I have so many amazing men in my life whose stories I also want to tell. So finally, I was like, fuck it. They can come on too. Like, they'll just be <laughs> special gentlemen guests. It's okay. Exactly. But, you know, friends, my male friends are the ones that keep reminding me like I, that, hey, we know that you love us equally and women need this. Women need this. And, you know, everything that's happening right now in Iran alone is like just the most present reminder of the privilege that we do have here, even with the struggles that women have in the U.S. or in North America. It's nothing compared to what so many other women are facing minute by minute. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you were referred by Anna, the magical Anna on the Powerful Ladies team, who's given us some of the best guests we've had. And she said that we cannot step over the fact that you've had many lives that are very interesting <laughs> and that you have partied with Prince. And we need to share that with everyone. <laughs> um, I know it's funny. I just, I kind of always, I mean, I'm a huge journaler. I, I mm-hmm. write copiously. I have since I was 10. Um, and I have had many, many stories and I, I moved to New York city in 1991 and I was 22 and just really cute, fresh out the boat. Um, and I think back to it now, I'm frankly trying to tap hugely into it because I was such an unbelievable scripter and deliberate creator. I wrote when I was 14, 15 years old, maybe like 1983 in Vermont, my little bedroom, I like listened to Prince dance in the mirror, all sweaty, wrote in my journal. I still have it. I'm going to meet Prince someday. I'm going to dance for him. He's going to love me, blah, blah, the whole thing. Cut to, it was like 16 years later, but still I met him. Everything that I'd written came true and then way surpassed it. Um, And so to me, I tell the story a lot. It's funny also writing my memoir, there's a lot of famous people. There's a lot of like my girlfriend who kind of convinced me to do it who's just finished her own mm-hmm. has, you know, she's going through the legal team about how many names you have to change and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't even think about, <laughs> I'm happy. I mean, I'm so sad that Prince has passed, but mm-hmm. I'm happy that maybe I'll get to tell the story because yeah. of it. Um, but it was really, I wrote that this, that, that particular time we met, we spent like a day and a half. It was two different nights. He sang happy birthday to me. I'll, t- I'll tell you this story if you yeah. want. Please. But then, yeah. And also when it ended, it was so ridiculous that I was like, oh, we're going to see each other again. It's going to be like the third chapter of the story. And then he yeah. passed away on my birthday. So it was really kind of a, yeah. Um, how does the story succinctly go? We were dancers. <laughs> um, we were dancers. We were very spoiled. We were out all the time. We were young, beautiful things. We, um, blah, blah. We, I went to a club that I usually went to. My best friend was already there. She was in VIP and there's like extra, extra VIP set up with Prince right there. And so she's like, come on, let's dance. So we dance like little maniacs <laughs> and, uh, and very shortly get taken across the velvet rope. It was like four days before my 31st birthday we sit with him we talk with him he's great he's pretty he's a little reserved um he doesn't seem super comfortable you know Mm -hmm. just kind of in a club scene we he says he's leaving pretty quickly he takes my friend's number um calls his his person calls us like 20 minutes later and says i want you and the birthday girl to come to the palace hotel that's like you know, where Michael Jackson stays, Madonna stays, and everybody stays. And so take a cab there. So excited. <laughs> we got like let up the back secret superhero celebrity elevator. Um, get up to the top, get to his place, have to sign an NDA immediately upon entry. It's just him. We sign NDAs and and we're I'm like, oh God. And uh and she and then he is just his his person leaves to the three of us. And he was like the kindest, loveliest human. Um he does he didn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He 
was I'd never been starstruck. I'd met many celebrities at that point. And I was like, (laughs) 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 I mean, it was so hard to, I don't know if you ever saw Jamie Foxx's comedy bit about him, but like really a very surreal human. Mm -hmm. You were kind of like, oh, you seem a little different than the rest of us, you know? Yeah. Um, And he kept... He, he served us breakfast. We stayed for hours. He, we played tic-tac-toe. He sang happy birthday to me. He was just absolutely yeah. lovely. Mm-hmm. He invited us to a party the next night. This will date it, but it, his party was with Q-Tip and Brandy. And so, Amazing. I would love to go to that party. <laughs> sure. <right? laughs> and so the next night we got to the party, we'd invited other friends. We were all spoiled princesses. Um, he wasn't there yet. The party wasn't that great. They had like VIP all for us, but none of us cared. I don't even like champagne. Whatever. <laughs> we were all starting to complain. Be like, where is he? He invited us and he didn't even come. Um, and then he showed up with like a small entourage, not even big. And my friend, who is still one of my best friends, I call her my sister, um, whose ego like could couldn't have fit in the Chrysler building at the time. And she, <laughs> Um, she, he, so he came and sat kind of across the club from us. It wasn't big. And she's like, we're going to count to 10. So she counts to 10. And then she's like, everybody get your stuff because he hadn't come to us, you know? And so we go, we go like flouncing by him. And this is literally, I don't regret much in my life, but mm-hmm. why didn't I just bail out of the line of ducks and stay? Like, I don't yeah. why. And so he gives me the look on his way by, like, what? And I was like, Ugh. and uh, we leave. His person calls us and says, hey, was somebody rude to you? What happened? Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, was, he wasn't even Prince at the time. He was whatever that squiggly symbol yeah. was, you know? And he was like, he wants to know if you're okay. And is there anything he can do? That's so nice. Like, I know. And my friend was like, you tell him, I don't know who he thinks he is to make us great. <laughs> whatever the guy's like are are you you being serious like is this a joke you know she's like no you can tell him and then like we all went out to eat and kind of everybody calmed down and she's like did we just diss friends and I'm like we so hardcore yeah (laughs) we were his guests we were in VIP we like stormed out um so then also, I thought it was going to be, I was like, we're for sure going to run into him again because he's going to remember us. He's going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, you too. The absolute most ridiculous little narcissist I ever ran across in my <laughs> life, you know? <laughs> but then he passed on my birthday, so it never happened. Yeah. Aww. Well, uh, but you have an amazing experience and an amazing story. Mm-hmm. It's terrible though. I play it with a two truths and a lie with kids sometimes, but kids today don't, you know, they're like, what Prince? And I'm like, no, not. They're like a Prince of where? And I'm like, no, Prince. Like, and they're like, who cares? It's not a print. And I was like, it's more important than that. It was the Prince. What else do you need? <laughs> it doesn't go over. When you look at all your lives that you've had, you know, is there a tenant that you have had through life of intentionally choosing these different lives? Have you been chasing like, oh, if it's fun or if it's this, like, how have you been creating your extraordinary life thus far? I love the question. I, 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 a couple of years ago spoke to a psychic and she, I said, I don't know, like everybody's so 
everybody's so goal oriented and everybody talks and all this. And like, sometimes the word goal to be perfect honest makes me flinch a little, you know, and like our, the, 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 the kind of the way that we push drive Mm -hmm. in this country isn't very resonant with me. And so I was like, but am I doing it wrong? I know there's things, I know there's things I could be doing better to serve the world. I know I could Mm -hmm. be stepping up to some of my skills and talents more. I know all these things. And so, you know, do I really need to vastly change my perspective on like goal setting and such? And she said, Jasmine, your goal has always been freedom. Like that mm-hmm. has always been your goal. If you if you look back at the thread of all of it now, that's the thread. And if you look at it from that vantage point, you've always done a really good job of creating it. And so I mentioned to somebody the other day, another dating it thing, Toucan Sam. You remember Toucan Sam? Mm-hmm. I think it was oh, yeah, the- yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you follow your nose. You just, yeah. and... I'm currently for maybe like the last five years obsessed with Abraham Hicks and understanding Mm -hmm. deliberate creation more, but I think I was always really good at it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think having hippie parents was helpful because I was taught to really think outside the box and I was Mm -hmm. taught to not just take what I saw and eat it because that's what was available. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that I just really always, and, and fun definitely some of the biggest crumbs on the trail. I've always been like, Jasmine, does that suit your, I I can't do things. I can't do jobs. I can't have relationships. I can't do things unless they are deeply resonant with me for very long at all. I'm amazed by people who can, and I'm so grateful for those people who can really grind like that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not really built like that. Um, and I would love to infuse others with also the rebelliousness to get <laughs> away from it. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I would say I'm a big freedom seeker. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. again, grateful to be in a, in a country and a place where my freedom is in many, many ways protected and upheld. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like if I wasn't living up to kind of what that can afford me, I don't, love that word, but you know what I mean? Um, then I'd be doing a disservice, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I I always want to kind of wring as much as possible out of this thing. What a great playground we're in. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, um, when I'm coaching people and they're trying to figure out what's next, I always have to ask them, did you write down fun? Like which one's the most fun? Absolutely. And I can be very logical about choices and what we're doing and how we get there. I'm good at creating the roadmaps for myself and others. But I also know that I can't choose something if it doesn't feel right. It doesn't matter what the logic says. Like, here's the path to make a million dollars. And I'm like, that looks horrible. I'm going over here. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's, you know, there's so, there's so much more to life than can I pay the bills? Am I doing, you know, the right thing? And you know, Anna's been like, we've been working on like what, how to talk about the coaching I do because that word rebellious keeps coming up. It doesn't necessarily fit, I think, with who I am and and the vibe that we're giving, but there's a lot of fuck it in my coaching approach of, right. why, why are we doing that? That sounds real dumb and not fun. Like, I don't even want to make a plan for that goal. Like, ew. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a wordsmith too. And I think about 
you know, I sometimes use the word irreverent in relation mm-hmm. to myself. But honestly, I, I if I truly broke it down, if I truly had the time to really mm-hmm. with someone have a conversation of what, about what I meant, I think it's reverence. Yeah. I think it's reverence for what matters. I think it's reverence yeah. for honoring that our souls want to have fun. I think it's reverence yeah. for saying fuck it to a bunch of the rules that are mm-hmm. arbitrary and here to be obstacles, not actually yeah. openings, you know? So yeah, I, I, I believe we're reverent when we're, mm-hmm. I think so many adults, I, again, I've gotten into, you know, I don't always speak the most professionally. I know it. There are lots of things about the way I present myself that people would be like, oh, you should, you know, shift that to be a little bit more of this. And I'm like, I, I feel like a lot of you have really forgotten what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really here to have a good time and enjoy each other and break bread together and dance together mm-hmm. and bring up the children well. And yeah. Um, fun is really central. <laughs> well, and there's been so, so often when we think we have to like show up, we're not showing up for ourselves to be more confident. We're showing up so people will actually listen to us. And you're like, that is on the long list of things that we do as human adults. That is, it's on the list of waste of our time space. You know, I'm all for having a discussion about letting five-year-olds run things because they got it and they don't have all the bullshit that we have. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. advice <laughs> for a day. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they they're just scared. Time. Yeah. They're just scared enough to like not fuck things up. Right. <laughs> but they're just, yeah. Oh, but I would like to see what, at least what decor changes they would make in the White House. <laughs> exactly. Little unicorns. And- mm-hmm. <laughs> How much have powerful women influenced your life? You've mentioned your mother. You've mentioned this uh, best friend that I think I'm very intrigued about now. Like, how, how have those women and other women guided you and supported you along your path? I feel very led by powerful women. I um, had three pretty negative father figures in my life growing up. Um, So I I definitely had a lot more positive mentorship from women. Um, And my my mother is, um, I mean, she's kind of just unbelievable badass. She adopted me at 23 who does that? Mm-hmm. Um, let alone, it was 1969. She's white. She adopted a child of color and did so intentionally. She's a documentarian. She's written movies. She's worked for the UN. She travels around the world every year. Mm-hmm. She, um, She's my biggest example of like how to absolutely forge a path where there has not been one before, but you just feel the knocking in your soul. And you're like, she's been going to Mongolia for 23 years. Like who does that? (laughs) Um, So I had, I had her for sure. And then just a lot of, all of my friends are strong women. Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by incredible networks of women who, and, and even ones who aren't just caretaking families, but are really mm-hmm. caretaking the world in different ways. They're doulas, mm-hmm. they're journalists, they're doctors, they're, you know, a variety of holistic positions that are supporting the collective. And even within Quakers, I was home this summer and I went to Quaker meeting and there's all these <laughs> sweet, you know, 70 something, 80 something. We even visited on the mountain with my mom's 
friend who's like 97, still totally with it, talking about Vermont mm-hmm. politics. And so, yeah, I was fortunate to have a lot of examples of liberal, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of very, a pretty progressive white liberal women, but again, mm-hmm. a lot of education, a huge mm-hmm. books always everywhere that I was and a lot of allyship. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt, I felt very fortunate. The, the, the male thing father figure has been something to fill in for me for sure. But in terms of what female role models, I feel like I've had a plethora my whole life. Yeah. How, how did growing up in Vermont and then spending a lot of time in New York City, how did those two locations imprint themselves on you? And what do you wish you could give other people that those locations gave you? That's actually how my memoir just started. When I was home this summer, I got asked to write a piece for our hometown paper. And so, and I could write about anything I wanted. And I wrote about being a bridge. I wrote about, because for me, I literally almost love them equally. I couldn't Mm -hmm. live in Vermont, but in terms of the visceral ways that it makes me feel, I I love being in the country. I love Mm -hmm. being barefoot. I love every season. I love pigs eating out of my hand. I mean, I am a country girl. I grew up on a dirt road with no TV. Mm -hmm. I'm a country girl. Um, I am also such a city girl. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love, I can't get enough of the streets. <laughs> Literally like, I love city life. I love diversity. I love it being as dynamic as it is. Mm-hmm. I love everything, everything, everything about it. Um, interestingly, my biological parents, my mother grew up mm-hmm. in Vermont. My father was from New York city. And so I don't know if it's embedded in my DNA. Yeah. Um, But that was even what I wrote my piece about was just having, when I talk to people when I'm home, especially Mm -hmm. the summer, like people, I ran into more people than usual and people asked where I lived and, oh, the absolutely horrified look (laughs) when I say LA. They're like, oh, you know, did you lose a bet? I'm like, yeah, it's actually really great. Um, And also in New York City for years when I would go Mm -hmm. home, it's just very, you know, such an unpalatable, just the whole idea of it. And so, mm-hmm. and for city people in the city too, I think they're like, what, that one horse boring to, you know? And yeah. There's such beautiful things in both. And there's such, I think there's lessons within each that you can't mm-hmm. get in the other place. And so I would love to have folks just, not that I think that anybody would necessarily do the exploration in the way that I did of both, mm-hmm. but to just be open that, you know, and, and especially as overlap are happening. And I mean, in my small town, it was really interesting to notice because of there are many um, moves prompted by the pandemic that wouldn't mm-hmm. have happened otherwise, you know, and so it's changing the landscape of the, of the demographics, you know, people who mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily come. And so for me, it would just be nice for people just to, be able to see, be able to like really see the value in both and, and hopefully mm-hmm. like me, be able to get, get some of both, you know, it's, I mean, looking at stars at night with fireflies yeah. outside without a, like a locked door in sight, mm-hmm. what an experience. And also like, you know, being in a packed stadium with every kind of person with a yeah. collective experience in a city also. Mwah. Yeah. I'd like people to open their minds. I keep forgetting that 
my friends in California have never experienced two things that grew up there, fireflies and a snow day. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how to tell a child story without those two pieces. Like, what? What what were you doing when I was doing that? (laughs) And you know, it really is kind of, I mean, the same way as it is for people there about here. I had a girlfriend here in Los Angeles who grew up in Texas, who went to Vermont for the first time this summer. And she wrote me from it. And she was like, what is this? And I was like, you know. And she's like, this, it's hard to even put into, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I stumbled because I know you're like, uh, syrup and green grass. It doesn't do it justice, but yeah, it does it. Mm -mm. (laughs) Um, I love that your mother loves Mongolia. It's one of the coolest places I have been to. Oh, she would love that you did. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's. She's, she's written, um, I'll send you the info. She's done three mm-hmm. documentaries. She wrote a book. Um, she married a Mongolian man. My third, second stepfather was Mongolian. Um, yeah, she believed she was mm-hmm. Mongolian in a past life. Ooh. She's this cute little white Quaker lady. <laughs> <laughs> With the wrath of Khan in her. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, our, our home now is transformed at home. It almost looks like the inside of a yurt. Like there's mm-hmm. all, yeah. She's so funny. Yeah. No, I got to take the Trans-Siberian Railroad in and then had a driver and two friends. And we literally just stayed at other people's yurts across the country for like 10 days. Oh, my God. It was pretty amazing. Well, when we look at how 2022 is going and building into and starting to create things for 2023, what are you looking forward to, excited about? What does this next chapter look like for you? I am nothing but excited. Um, I am, my memoir is so fun. I had no plans to do it again. It really was just born. I started it eight days ago. I'm like 15,000 words in. So, wow. you know, I write really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll also be fun to then go back over my journals. Like I plan to, of course, pepper actual things from my journals in. And so mm-hmm. that's a fun project. And and one that my message in it is also still to have people see how much of a dichotomy exists within all of us, you know, mm-hmm. and and to hopefully move past some judgments. Like if you learn a certain thing about a person and then it kind of colors the yeah. whole way you see them and be like, oh my gosh, we're we're not 3D, we're like a thousand D, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's exciting, both as cathartic for myself as well as pretty excited. I got a lot of good stories. <laughs> um, and then I'm really excited about the young adult series. I'm proud of it. I think it's timely. I think our young people, I know our young people need it. I want them. I taught on zoom for a fair amount during the pandemic and especially during our early scary parts, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I would want to be nothing. I always want to be nothing but encouraging for our young people, but then it felt extra important. And so I would talk to them about how they're going to be these new little superheroes. They had this situation and they're going to kind of know things and do things differently than some of us before. And so I started the, the, the series in the height of the pandemic and just had dancing in my mind, all these little people who I want them, I want to build their resilience. I believe they Mm -hmm. need it more than ever. Mm -hmm. And also I love that I chose protagonists who are typically not the start, you know, there's Mm -hmm. there's 
disabled children and children of color and there's mm-hmm. you know and so i wanted to be kids who don't usually get the kind of main character hero position and i'm really excited about the magazine i'm i'm excited about what we're putting out i'm excited about all the networking connections that we're creating i saw um amazing movie if you want to leave this in for everybody Muli, m-u-l-l-y it's uh, father to the fatherless it's the story of this man in kenya who through a long series of events at the end of it he literally during one of the largest droughts in their history found water and basically created his own ecosystem and then all these ways to support children on the streets and such but I, that's the way i think about it is just doing what i can to create mm-hmm. how however much of a metaphorical ecosystem as i can yeah. with other people's tree roots and just make us just be as much as I can a piece of the puzzle that's helping move things forward for everyone to feel lighter mm-hmm. and to feel more connected and to throw off a lot of the trappings that are both dividing us from each other and from the way we're really supposed to be riding this ride. Yeah. Well, we ask everyone on the Powerful Ladies podcast where you put yourself on the Powerful Ladies scale. If zero is average everyday human and 10 is most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you put yourself today and where would you put yourself on average? Okay. I give myself an eight today. Um, I give myself I don't give myself higher because I want to, I'll give myself higher when I'm producing more, when I actually have books on the shelves, when I have things, when I have programs out there. Right now, I feel like I'm in a a good period, but kind of a behind the scenes period. Mm -hmm. It's something where I'm not producing that much that's actually has output. And so when I get back to an output stage, I'll give myself higher. Um, But right now, I'll give myself an eight and... Overall in my life, I think I still, I don't think I really ever come in under an eight. I've always been remarkably brave and just, I, I, I'm very willing to jump without a net. And I always mm-hmm. was. So yeah, solid eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we also want to give you time to share with everyone where they can follow you, find you, connect with you, cheer you on. So where's all the places they can do that? Okay. Um, my Instagram, which is mostly just me spilling my edges all out everywhere. If you look at my Instagram, you kind of, I believe you'll get a pretty good picture of what I'm like. Um, and that's Hasminuka, J-A-S-M-I-N-U-C-A. And then my website is The Right Next Step. So The Right Next Step, W-R-I-T-E. And the magazine is Lit magazine it's l-i-t it stands for leaders in transformation you can find them all online of course anything else yeah those would be the three places i'll plug the other stuff when it's more more coming to fruition love it (laughs) please tag us so we can share it and promote it when it's ready okay i will and then we've also been asking everyone this year you know this is a really big and powerful and resourceful heart-led group so what do you need? What do you want? What what can someone help you solve or find? I love it. The thing that I write 
in my dream journal, the thing that I want currently more than anything is a publisher. I want a publisher. I look into self-publishing and I, during the process of writing both the pieces that I'm writing, I, I forever considering whether to self-publish or mm -hmm. have a publisher. I believe that I would prefer to have a really aligned publisher. Yeah. Hay House would be my favorite. <laughs> um, it, I'm not typically what they do, but I also know that I think it would be a nice, I think it would be an amazing and timely addition for them to branch out into children's mm -hmm. literature and usually their self-help in an, a different kind of way. But I think by bringing in children's literature, we wouldn't do it in the same way as we would with adults. And mm -hmm. so I would love Hay House. Um, but really just a publisher that I feel mm -hmm. aligned with and that I'm willing to put my two babies in their hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would also recommend looking at Chelsea Green Publishing, okay. if you've heard of them. And then I, I also have a client who's an independent publisher who's amazing. So I'm happy to do an intro there too. Okay. That would be wonderful. And everyone else listening who you know, send them, send them your way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been such a pleasure to meet you today and to share your energy and your zest for life and just the clear focus you have about being a contribution and doing it with as much fun and happiness as possible. So thank you for everything that you do and who you are and yeah, just for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much too. I very much enjoyed it. Powerful ladies. <laughs> <laughs>